gospel of Jesus. And because of this, he was willing to do what Jesus called him to do. But I'm guessing he was a bit confused by this call. If you can imagine how much experience a fisherman would have in public speaking to a crowd of thousands from, of people from all over the land, I think he was a bit confused and probably a little nervous. But in the midst of Peter's own most likely confusion, a bit of fear, and the chaos that was around him, we see him in the text being faithful to what God has calling him to do and whom God is calling him to be. And honestly, I think Peter is trying to also figure out what's going on. Thousands of people are gathering around him. And like I said, he was a fisherman. It would have been like someone working at Donald's Market or a mail carrier, like a critical person to society, but not someone called to do the task of delivering a controversial speech under the direction of the long-awaited Messiah. I wonder just how nervous he was. And although he's being obedient, I have to think, like, was his inner critic saying, like, dude, you're a fisherman? (laughs) But he did it, and whom he was speaking to was just about as important as what he was saying. So it's a large crowd, thousands of people gathered. A lot of them were what um, Peter would have thought of as the pure Jews, the Orthodox folks from his temple. He would have known some of them. He would have recognized people in the crowd as his neighbors. Some people, he would have called them friends. But that wasn't, those weren't the only people in this crowd, because at that time of year, Jews from all over the region would come for a holiday festival called Shavuot, which we now talk about as Pentecost, which we'll talk about Pentecost in a minute. But the Jewish diaspora and the Jews who had been forced farther and farther out of the area, out of the Jerusalem, the Jewish headquarters, would return for this holiday. Now, for those in the diaspora, leaving the mothership came with its ups and downs. (laughs) They would, they had, under the influence of other cultures like Roman and Greek influence, and thus were really scrutinized by the Jerusalem Jews. The diaspora interpreted and applied the laws a bit liberally. They weren't as tight-fisted, and they were scrutinized. They were thought of as less less pure, Um, a little bit like not quite the true Jew, Uh, sort of as the kids say these days, they would have been thought of as sus, like suspicious, (laughs) suspicious outsiders. And these sus folks, like I said, they would travel back to Jerusalem for Shavuot. But this year, as they were traveling and getting closer and closer, they would have been hearing rumors of what had happened at Passover or Easter. They would have been hearing about this local rabbi called Jesus who had been crucified and rose from the dead. And I know at Grandview, we often pose our questions as wonderings. And one of my wonderings was like, what exactly were they hearing? Like, they're hearing rumors, but are the rumors actually true? Were they hearing like half the truth? What were they hearing? Were they hearing that a local rabbi had died at the hands of the Romans and was resurrected? Had they heard that this rabbi had been spending the last few weeks gathering disciples, teaching them, giving them sort of vague instructions, asking them and not totally answering their questions? And as Jake said last week, 
Jesus was also teaching them to be better fishermen and having breakfast with them. Would these people have heard all of this stuff? I think some of these stories would have been getting back to their far-flung communities, and it would have created curiosity. And it would I wonder if more people were showing up because they were hearing these rumors. But regardless of what they knew, the crowd was building, the anticipation was buzzing. And if you think of a crowd of thousands, I was thinking it's the sun run right now. Are you guys glad you're not doing the sun run right now? But like a crowd, not quite that big, but people are waiting, they're anticipating. Like if something goes wrong or someone, did anyone get in a fight? Like it's just like anxious, waiting and exciting and looking for answers. And a whole bunch of curious anxious folks arrive for this festival and they've heard these rumors. So in case you're like me and sometimes you space out a little bit in sermons, just to recap what we've got so far. Peter the fisherman talking to a huge group of people having known he knew Jesus, he knew Jesus died and was resurrected and now he's being called to give a sermon to this crowd. Now this particular day or time was right after Pentecost had happened. And so as most of us have been churchgoers for a while, we know Pentecost, the day where the Holy Spirit filled people different languages, they spoke all these languages together, kind of cool, kind of chaotic, a really unique and big deal. And we will speak about Pentecost, someone else will speak about Pentecost in a few weeks. But what we need to remember is that this was an unprecedented and exciting time, but also strange and confusing. So strange that you heard Ellen tell us when she read the scripture that Peter starts his sermon by confirming in fact that these people were not drunk, it was only 9 a.m., And what's kind of funny is he wasn't making like a it's 12 o'clock somewhere kind of joke. He was actually talking about the fact that the drinking would normally start at 10 or 11 with the first meal. But it was only 9 o'clock. So there's no way these people could be drunk. They were having a moment with the Holy Spirit. And as he goes on to explain, begin his sermon to this crowd, he's looking out at these People thinking, I know you, yep, you're from my temple. Oh, wait, but all of you other people are not. And Jesus wants me to communicate the same message to all of these people, to the insiders, to the outsiders. And he knew the scriptures. He knew that most of these Jewish people would know the basic scriptures. Some of them would be familiar with other parts of it. So he goes in and begins by using familiar words from the prophet Joel because he knows these people would be looking for an explanation of the rumors that they had heard. He uses the prophet Joel and then he goes in for the big guns with King David and he explains using familiar texts that the crowd would be used to. And he himself is looking for explanations in the familiar text. He was not a scholar or an academic But he knew the scriptures, and he knew who he was speaking to. But because he knew that, I think he would have been thinking to himself, wow, this is not the way we always do things. This is not the way we do things. This is a very mixed crowd. And I think Peter would have been, like, no, he would know that something new was emerging here. He was being called to preach the same message 
to people who were considered inappropriate, you know, not pure, and he was realizing that the message Jesus had for these people was profoundly inclusive. And after quoting the familiar texts of Joel and talking about King David, he says in our verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he reminds the crowd that it was not impossible for David, for David stayed in the tomb. He was not resurrected. Peter continues, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And this would have been a shocker to the crowd. I mean, it would have been a shocker to Peter, but he had a little more time to get used to it. You see, there had been potential messiahs in the past, people claiming to be God, but Jesus had done miracles upon miracles, and he had died and was resurrected. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And now the crowd, having heard this, was like, brothers, what shall we do? (laughs) They were like, we need to figure this out because this message, this is, this is different. This is what we've heard, but now this is confirmed. And they're beginning to see the implications and maybe even the importance. And then Peter responds with these sort of strange instructions to them. In the message translation of the Bible, it says, change your life. That's what Peter says to them. Change your life. And then he gives them more specific instructions like repent, which is, you know, turn, turn away from your old ways. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to think about, Dane, my husband, is a Bible teacher, and he was explaining to me this, the context of what be baptized means. And right now it's like someone gets saved and then they get baptized But it it wasn't really that kind of thing. It was more like be baptized, like join this new way, get initiated into the new way of Jesus. That's, That's the kind of baptism Peter was talking about. And he was telling this to the pure Jews from the mothership of Jerusalem and also to all the people that had been forced farther and farther out, the people that were being scrutinized. And he's telling them to share a baptism. It was pretty much scandalous. And then he goes in, Peter goes in for the zinger when he says, the promise is targeted to you and your children, but also for all of you who are far away. You sus folks, you, your kids, you need to go back and tell all these people that this message is for them too. You all need to be initiated into this new way of Jesus. The same message for all of the different people. Peter is learning that Jesus himself is widening the circle of welcome. It's for the Jews in Jerusalem, but it's also for everyone else. And this new and expansive group that's forming is what we now think of as the church. Some people call Peter the first pope. And Peter knew that this circle must be inclusive. Jesus' resurrection has changed who's in and who's out. It's a totally different reality. And we know change is difficult. Uh, Peter was preaching something new, something different. A new way of being is emerging. 
and it's not going to be easy. And it's especially not easy when the change is brought on by someone else. It's one thing to make decisions for yourself. I'm going to make a change in my life. And it's another thing to have someone else change your life. And we at Grandview, we have gone through significant change. We have been confused like Peter. We have been trying to make sense of things like Peter. We've been brave like Peter. We have judged people not like ourselves, just like Peter. We've heard rumors in the crowd. Just, we've heard rumors just like those in the crowd. We've demanded answers just like the people in the crowd. We've been anxious and worried. We have so many wondering questions. But similar to Peter, we are part of something that is new and emerging. I think poking out from under the chaos and confusion, there is a treasure to be spotted. Something valuable, something meaningful is hidden under there. And it's always been there. But I think it's just been buried. And we're attempting to unbury what is there. And it's tiring. <laughs> Change is tiring. Because this is not how we usually do things. We like to have our treasures lined up and visible. We're good at helping people and welcoming people. We want to do all the things. And we're just coming up for air. And like Peter and like this crowd, Jesus is at work here. And we, like Peter, may feel a little confusion, a lot of fear, a little chaos around us. But like Peter, we can be faithful to what God is calling us to do and whom God is calling us to be. And we have to keep showing up, just like Peter. We must accept that our circle is wider, that our calling might be out of the ordinary for us, and that we are being able, that we are being asked, what we are being, what, what we are being asked is a bit scary. And like Peter, we must trust that although this is not the way we usually do things, God is, in fact, at work in our midst. <laughs>